Well, we're still on this journey. Sometimes I, you know, in between uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, it's like, wait a minute, I got to take a breather, you know? But we keep going, and it, it's, uh, it does really kind of uh, begin to feel like or resemble, wow, we're like really on this journey, and it, we, we keep going, and, uh, and it, it really is a marvelous. Sukkot is a great holiday. It really is eight days long, right? Uh, and we have a service at the beginning of it. Uh, traditionally, it's the first two days and the last two days are holy days. The rest of the week is just really regular week and, and all of that. Maybe a few extra prayers in the, um, in the Amidah, you know, in the early morning service. Uh, but really, it's the first two days and the last two days that are the holy days. Uh, so uh, what we do is, rather than we don't have a service the first two days, we have a service the first evening and day. Uh, and then uh, we will have, uh, at the very end, uh, a special uh, a service for another joyous holiday, right? Simchat Torah. Uh, when we come to the annual end of the Torah reading cycle, and everybody has a chance to hold the Torah, and we sing lots of songs, and and we re-roll the Torah, a very joyful event. That'll be a week from Tuesday. So we still have a little ways to go, and I hope you'll be here tomorrow night and or Monday morning. Uh, tomorrow night, our service will be outside uh, at 6 o'clock, and then we'll come inside uh, you know, to have a little fellowship time. Then uh, on Monday morning, we'll have the service inside, and then afterwards, we'll go outside and have some refreshments. We'll have some tables set up and... Hopefully the weather will uh, will cooperate. Uh, and and so uh, again a a joyous uh, holiday, a joyous time. Great to have a wonderful baby dedication today, and uh, and and uh, you know a lot uh, going on. Now uh, Marcy read from uh, the uh, from the Torah portion, which is Deuteronomy thirty two. We'll be talking more about that in our uh, Torah study uh, uh, today. Uh, and of course, you know, we like to say Moses was not a one-hit wonder kind of guy, uh, right? Uh, he had two big songs, actually three, if you count Psalm 90, okay? Uh, the first one was right after the, uh, the uh, parting of the waters, right? Exodus uh, 15, when, uh, so if you're ever uh, playing some kind of Bible trivia, trivia game, Right, which is kind of an oxymoron, right? Bible trivia. What what does that mean? But anyway, that uh, you know, what is the first thing that the children of Israel did after they crossed the the uh, the the Red Sea? What's the first thing? Not don't answer the question, Marcy. Okay, what is the first thing that they did? They sang a song, right? They sang a song, and so singing is uh, really a very important part of what we do, right? Uh, and so now. And so it's kind of like bookends, right? When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they sing a song. And then at the very end, really, of the wilderness wanderings, they sing another song. Uh, and that is uh, Deuteronomy 32, right? Then the Haftorah portion uh, is, uh, is also very interesting. That's another song. That is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, which is uh, very interesting. It could have been a psalm. Could have been in the Psalms. Uh, and in a certain way, it is, by the way, uh, because it is almost the same, it, uh, not exactly the same, but almost the same as Psalm 18. 
If you read Psalm 18 and you read Deuteronomy 32 and you read uh, the rest of your Bible, you'll be in great shape. Okay? Uh, there you go. But uh, you'll see that, uh, that uh, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 18, and, uh, and um, uh, 2 Samuel 22 are all three kind of very similar passages. And we're going to talk more about that this afternoon in our uh, Torah study. Uh, and so it's, it's great. Hazinu is the name, the, the name of it. Listen up, basically, is, is, um, is what that portion is about. But I thought today we would talk a little bit about Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, sort of like a, it's like a, a little uh, introduction, a little introduction to it. So that uh, tomorrow evening and on Monday we can sort of really uh, uh, talk about some fascinating and, and uh, uh, spiritually moving aspects of the holiday without uh, having to explain everything about the holiday. So we're going to spend a little time uh, today doing that, sort of a little bit of an introduction. I know that uh, for some of us it might be kind of a new experience uh, this holiday, for others of us, maybe over the past couple of years, we've uh, celebrated it. But when you talk about it once a year, it's hard to remember everything about it. And then there are others of us that uh, you know have been celebrating it for for uh, many years. I will say that, uh, boy, when I was growing up, that uh, I have great memories of this holiday. Uh, great memories of uh, building the sukkah in the backyard, of uh, eating in it. Uh, sleeping in it, uh, all that kind of thing. It was uh, marvelous. When I was a kid, my father had uh, uh, two by fours in the garage that were that were uh, only for the purpose of building the sukkah. Uh, and uh, and so every year he built this frame with two by fours. It wasn't that big. It was big enough for a table and uh, and for my huge family of me and my mother and father. Uh, uh, you know, to uh, eat, eat in it, and and uh, and all that kind of thing, and uh, and so the walls would be burlap, like burlap uh, sacks, you know, cut up, right? So three walls, uh, and then I don't know where we got the uh, where we got the uh, the roof from, which would have been tree limbs. Uh, I wonder if our neighbors uh, were upset over that. I don't know, but but anyway, but uh, uh, somehow they just appeared. I don't know. My father uh, got them from somewhere, uh, and I can still feel. I can still remember the smell. You know, the smell of uh, of of the of the sukkah and and eating lots of uh, fruits. Um, uh, uh, of course. You know, in those days, it was a big deal to have anything from Israel, in those, the 1960s, right? To have, to have anything from Israel. So Jaffa oranges, right? That was like a really big deal uh, to, uh, to eat. And other assorted fruits uh, that came from Eretz Israel at that time. Uh, and so, you know, a, a joyful holiday. And of course, for, uh, for all of us, when we read the scriptures... Uh, we see where where the holiday is located, and by understanding where uh, uh, the holiday is, it helps us, I think, to understand it a little bit. Kind of like, you know, Rosh Hashanah. To really understand Rosh Hashanah, you have to understand it. Or the Feast of Trumpets. You have to understand it in the context of where it is in relationship to Yom Kippur and Sukkot. 
And so with Sukkot, you have to understand it in this relationship to Rosh Hashanah and uh, Yom uh, uh, Kippur, right? So let's uh, turn over there to Leviticus chapter 23 for just a moment. And we read about it here. We also read about it in a couple of other places uh, that we'll look at. So beginning in verse uh, 33, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month is the feast of booths for seven days to the Lord. Well, we can stop right there for a minute. So it's uh, five days after Yom Kippur, right? So the Feast of Trumpets, where we blow the shofar as a reminder to repent and to remember that we're accountable to God and all of that, right? So that's on the first day of the seventh month, okay? Then the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. That is when we're reconciled to God. That is when the the offerings for the nation would be, uh, you know, w- would be done, and and uh, the uh, holy place would be cleansed. The people would be cleansed. The priesthood would be cleansed, like a new start. And then five days later is Sukkot, the feast of we call it the feast of tabernacles. But you know, here's the secret. Do you know why it's called the feast of tabernacles? Does anybody know why it's called the feast of tabernacles? Why do you think? Because in the King James Version, the English translation of the King James Version, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the only reason. It's not what the word means, okay? It's not the same as the tabernacle in the wilderness, okay? That's the word mishkan, right? This is the word sukkah. It's a different word. Uh, And so the reason, like in my translation, is booths, right? Uh, you know, I don't like, like that one either because that reminds me, of course, they don't, these don't exist anymore. But it reminds me of like a telephone booth, right? A booth. What, what is a booth? Like a voting booth? A telephone booth? Right? What is that? Right? But it's like a shelter, like a, like a, a shelter uh, where like when you're waiting for the bus, you know, there's a shelter there. And the reason that you can go like inside a little bit is because in case it rains or snows or something, Right? Uh, it's kind of like that, except the sukkah is even not, not even that uh, elaborate. It's more like a lean-to. <laughs> you know, it, it's something that is like a flimsy and just set up like, and originally was for people working out in the fields that couldn't come back at night. So they would have some place uh, to, you know, to get out from the shade, uh, to get out from the sun and into the shade during the day and a place to, uh, and a place to uh, stay overnight. Uh, very, very uh, temporarily, okay? Uh, on the first day, now in verse 35, on the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. So that's also very interesting because it's seven days long and then it says... On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation. That's all it says. It's like, it's an extra day. And if, you, if we ask ourselves, well, why is there an extra day? Why is there an eighth day? You know, no one really knows. And uh, you get some of the most colorful, rich uh, kinds of stories and ideas in the rabbinic literature when the Bible doesn't exactly tell us something, right? Uh, you know, thousands of years ago, it was like kind of a form of entertainment, uh, to write and, and just dwell and, you know, muse about what, what might it be. So uh, one of the most well-known uh, thoughts about the eighth day 
is that God enjoyed so much communing with his people for seven days that he decided to add an extra day. And so that's kind of nice. I kind of like that one, right? It's called Shmini Atzeres, which simply means the eighth convocation, like the eighth holiday, <laughs> you know, the eighth day holiday. Uh, and so that's sort of tacked on to the end of, uh, of uh, Sukkot. Uh, and then now, you know, there's nine days, right? We just keep going, right? Uh, the ninth day is this holiday called Simchat Torah, uh, which came, which is a new holiday, only about a thousand years old, all right? Uh, and uh, uh, that was developed uh, when the, the liturgy of reading the Torah was developed, of the uh, cycle, the Torah reading cycle. Uh, and so it was decided that at the very end of Sukkot, that's when it will end. And we re-roll the Torah back to Genesis. Okay. Now, that's, when you look at the text, that's basically what the holiday is. So originally, originally the holiday was uh, really an agricultural uh, holiday, right? Uh, how do we know that? We'll come back to Leviticus 23. But if we turn to Exodus uh, chapter 23 also... See, isn't that great? 23, 23. Okay, in Exodus chapter 23 and verse uh, 16, it says, You shall also observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor from which you sow in the field. Also, the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year. Now, that's really interesting, by the way. So it tells us that uh, this seventh month is the end of the year right here. And what it also tells us is, why is it the end of the year? Because the agricultural year is what everything is kind of based on. The agricultural year. The relationship of the land to God and the people is how the year kind of functions, right? There are historical, uh, 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 the, the holidays have historical meanings, spiritualized meanings as well, Right? But what drives the, the calendar, especially, or I should say drove the calendar at the beginning, was agriculture, okay? Because it's the end of the year. And isn't it kind of like that? Like if you come from a small town uh, in, uh, in Ohio, right? Isn't there kind of like a homecoming, right? Homecoming at this time of year, right? October. And all that with the, you know, the corn stalks and the whatever you, whatever you do. Uh, <laughs> I never had anything like that myself. But anyway, from what I've heard, uh, right? And harvest festivals and things. Because it is like the end of the season, right? Uh, this, the, of, and it's the time of ingathering. Uh, and then in Israel, it would be the beginning of the rainy season and planting, and, you know, all that kind of thing, right? So that's why it says, the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors uh, from, the, uh, from the land. Uh, and then um, in uh, Exodus chapter 34, in verse uh, 22, it says, you shall celebrate the feast of weeks, that is, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the... Feast of ingathering, and look what it says, at the turn of the year, at the turn of the year. So there you go. 
So the feast of ingathering, the ingathering of the harvest. Now, I, uh, I won't take the time to turn to some other passages. There are other passages in a few different places in the Bible that talk about it was a time of, uh, of uh, like stomping on grapes to make wine. Uh, you read that in a couple of different places at this time of year. Uh, and so grapes have a, have a, um, were, was evidently a big uh, a harvest in the biblical period when the Israelites were living in the land. Then there's another place in Deuteronomy chapter 16, another place where we read about the feasts of, the, you know, these feasts of ingathering. Uh, and, uh, and so it was an agricultural uh, uh, a holiday. But then when you go back, but there's something else. Now when you go back to Leviticus chapter 23, when you read it carefully, you get the idea, okay, so it just simply says, I, I begins on the 15th day, it's seven days long, there's an extra day, and it's called the Feast of uh, Booths, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and it's uh, the appointed times of God. So you read there in verse 37, these are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as a holy convocation to present offerings by fire to the Lord, and so on and so forth. Then in verse 39, you have like, wait a minute, there's something else to say uh, about Sukkot, right? Because if you go to the end of verse 38, it could be the end of the chapter. But then it says, on exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the crops of the land, you celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. Interesting that it's called the feast of the Lord here, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, it helps us because in other places in the text, you'll read about the Feast of the Lord or the Feast. Well, I'm not going to turn to them, right? Uh, but uh, they're there. Uh, and they're referring to Sukkot. And one of the things that we learn is that it is the most celebrated holiday that we read about in the Bible. Now, you know, if you grew up like me, that you might be thinking to yourself, but that doesn't add up. Because Sukkot is really a minor holiday today. It's not part of the high holy days. It, it really isn't. We treat it that way. But traditionally, it isn't really considered part of the high holy days. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then number three would be what? Passover, right? Uh, Sukkot is like Hanukkah. <laughs> you know, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Purim, that's how it is. I. Uh, that is uh, kind of how it's understood, right? But what is interesting is that in the Bible, that is not how it works. That it is a, it is a major uh, holy day. And uh, according to uh, a, a lot of the uh, rabbinic literature from thousands of years ago, uh, you certainly can get the sense that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur we're like, we're very important holy days, but like leading up to Sukkot, you know, like you needed the repentance and the reconciliation to get to the rejoicing. And that certainly is a great way, you know, to understand the holiday, right? And then, uh, you know, what we also read is that it's a time of dedication or of rededication to the Lord. Again, I won't turn to it, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 31. In chapter 31, it says, when you enter the land... In the seventh year, in the seventh month, on Sukkot, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to read the Torah. 
like like a a a, a time of uh, a time of dedication, right? Uh, some other interesting things is that in the book of Numbers, in the 29th chapter, there are more offerings offered on Sukkot than any other holiday. Any other holiday. 70 altogether. Okay? Uh, then you have the historical, uh, the historical meaning. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, time moves on. And, and what you have is, uh, in the days of Solomon, King Solomon, they understood what had been written in the Torah and interpreted it and applied it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years uh, later, right? So it's very interesting that by the time you get to the days of Solomon, who builds the temple, this holiday has a little less to do with agriculture uh, and, and remembering the wilderness wanderings than it does uh, 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 in, in, um, in Solomon's time, which has more to do with the presence of God, the presence of God with his people, okay? So back in the Torah, it is this agricultural holiday, and then at the very end of uh, Leviticus 23, uh, we read that you shall dwell in booths for seven days, just as the children of Israel dwelt in booths uh, during the wilderness wanderings. And the idea there is, is God's protection. God protected the people in the wilderness. God was with the Jewish people in the wilderness. Okay, so now, if you look at just the very end of the chapter of uh, 1 Kings 8, it's a great chapter, by the way, but we just want to understand when this great dedication took place. So, uh, it says in verse 64 of uh, 1 Kings 8. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court uh, that was before the house of the Lord because there he offered the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat or the peace offerings. For bronze, the bronze altar was before the Lord, was too small to hold the burnt offerings, grain offerings, lots of offerings. So Solomon observed the feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly, uh, uh, from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord for seven days, and then seven more days, even 14 days. And then it says, on the eighth day, he sent the people away and blessed, uh, and they blessed the king. And this is indeed the uh, holiday of, uh, of Sukkot, uh, uh, this seven-day feast of the uh, Lord. And then if you read in your Bible in Ezra chapter 3, and in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the second temple was dedicated, it was Sukkot, this same holiday. And there it says they dwelt in booths uh, for seven days. So it is a very prevalent holiday. And there are other passages indeed as well that talk about the feast or the feast of the Lord uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, what, it, what it meant in rejoicing. Something else that's very interesting is that in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is important because Zechariah takes place after the captivity, after almost all the other prophets, during the time of this second temple. And in the 14th chapter, in verse 16, it says, and this, we would understand this to be when the Messiah returns, 
right? And he sits on his throne in Jerusalem, and there's great rejoicing. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate Sukkot, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Uh, and, uh, and so we see, very interesting, that now this holiday has like this, it takes on like a life of its own. Uh, it, it's like the, the agricultural part of the holiday, the dedication of the temple part of the holiday, that's like the launching pad, and it takes off, and, and now it has something to do with the consummation of everything. It has something to do with like the, the, you know, the Olam Haba, the world to come. Wow, what does Sukkot have to do uh, with, uh, with all of that? And, and so it is very interesting that ancient rabbis, very famous ones, uh, understood that building the sukkah is like a, uh, uh, a type or a picture of like a heavenly sukkah. And that uh, the day will come when God himself uh, you know, will envelope the whole world uh, and we will dwell in his midst in the heavenly sukkah, you know, and uh, it's really uh, quite, uh, quite interesting to read uh, all of that. And interesting, there is a place in Isaiah that kind of gives that impression, even though he was way earlier. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 4, you have uh, this vision of the future, and it says this in, verse, uh, in verses uh, 5 and 6 of Isaiah 4. Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over the assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke. And remember, the cloud in the wilderness represented the presence of God, right? And the brightness of a flaming fire by night. For all of the glory will be a canopy. Well, that's a, that's a great word. That's not the word sukkah. That's the word chuppah. That's chuppah. That's the word for marriage canopy. Isn't that interesting? That uh, I, the, the glory will be like a marriage canopy. But then the next verse says, and there will be a sukkah to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from storm and rain. And that's exactly what a sukkah uh, is supposed to do. Give refuge, refuge. So there is like this heavenly sukkah. So it's very interesting. What's also very interesting is that in that Zechariah passage, the nations are going to come and celebrate this holiday. And, uh, and so Sukkot is this great uh, holiday uh, that, that turns, as it turns out, is not only about God's provision of fruit and ingathering of, uh, you know, of, um, of a harvest. And it's not only about God's protection in the ancient times of, uh, the wild in the wilderness wanderings. And it's not only about God's presence in the temple, the first temple and the second temple, but it has something to do with something very permanent in the future of the restoration of the world. Wow. So this holiday has a lot of meaning. And so maybe the Messiah talked about it. Could be, right? And so he does in the Gospel of John in the seventh chapter. 
right? We know it was Sukkot because the text tells us. In uh, John chapter 7, in verse 2, it says, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was at hand. I think it's interesting he calls it the feast of the Jews. I, I, and that, that he doesn't call it by name. Like when he's talking about Passover, it doesn't say the feast, the feast of the Jews. That, that's called Passover. <laughs> or the feast of unleavened bread. But this one is called the feast of the Jews. Usually, if we're talking about that phrase, where we're talking about the feast of the Jews. No, I would suggest that the way we ought to read it is the feast of the Jews. That the the is really very important here. That, that it is the feast of the Jews. This is, a, this is Sukkot, okay? And isn't it interesting that, you, that, uh, that John devotes an entire chapter to that time period, okay, uh, on this particular one? But we're going to cut to the chase, as we like to say. And in verse 37, 38 and 39, very famous verses, right? Most people that are familiar with the Brit Chadashah scriptures, the New Covenant, the New Testament, are familiar with these verses, right? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, it was the seventh day, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from, an, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, Maim Chaim, in Hebrew. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So without going to all the detail of that, Yeshua uh, is talking about Sukkot, and he's talking, uh, he, why does he say this on the seventh day of this holiday? For a couple of reasons. One reason is, even to this day, on the seventh day of this holiday, there are prayers for rain. Because it's the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the rainy season. There are prayers for rain. Okay, water, water, right? Uh, but it also, remember, and especially at this particular time, it had this sense of uh, looking forward to the consummation, to the end, to the coming of the Messiah. And so Yeshua takes the prayers for rain and applies it to himself and restoration and refreshment. And then John has to explain it to us. In verse 39, this he spoke of the Spirit. Okay? Yeshua doesn't say verse 39. Uh, John does. Okay? So it says, he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you have to get the picture there, water, like water offerings being poured out, prayers for rain, and, you know, and it was, um, it was this really great scene of, of water pouring and of waving palm branches and, you know, great prayers. And, and Yeshua has the chutzpah, right, to cry out, uh, you know, uh, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I mean, that is, if you, ever, if you ever encounter anyone that says, when did Yeshua ever identify himself as the Lord? Well, right here, okay? Right here, okay? Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shuffle rivers of living water. Shuffle rivers of living water. And the only place it talks about rivers of living water 
uh, it, from what he says, as the scripture says, is coming uh, from the temple or coming from Jerusalem in the days of the Messiah, what we would call the, you know, the, the, the consummate, the second coming or, uh, of the Lord. Rivers of living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Yeshua is saying, I am the meaning of the whole thing. In me will come rivers of living water. In me is the world to come. In me, you can experience deliverance. In me, you experience fullness. In me, you experience everything that you're looking forward to, except yet resurrection uh, in the world to come, you know, in complete healing of everything and, and so on. Uh, and, and so John explains it. It says in verse 39, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. Well, we know that when we come and, uh, to know Messiah, the Ruach comes to live in us. The Spirit of God comes to indwell us. And so we get to experience the beginnings of the Olam Abba, the world to come. We get to experience this, um, this uh, unique intimacy with God. And he lives uh, within us. And it is very interesting because, he's, because we become like a sukkah ourselves of the flimsy structure where God dwells. And isn't it very interesting that there's a particular uh, passage uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul uses that, um, uses, uh, uh, that imagery. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians in the fifth chapter. Uh, and, uh, and so he says, For we know that if this earthly tent, that is our house, is torn down. Earthly tent in Greek is the same word that is used for sukkah uh, in the Septuagint. Okay? Skenos, I believe, is the word. And it's the same word. So uh, it, it's interesting because that's what he's using the imagery of the sukkah. We know that if this sukkah... This earthly sukkah, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Indeed, in this house, in the sukkah, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And, and so he knows, he recognizes the frailty of this life, yet there is the building from God that's to come. But the, the ruach dwells in us now. And it's very interesting when you go on to read, he says, I can't believe, should I stay or should I go? He decides to stay because his work is not yet completed yet. Right? Uh, and, uh, but, but we need to get that. That there is this uh, wonderful sense in Sukkot of restoration, right? Of the ingathering, of being restored to God. And uh, the most wonderful thing, of course, uh, about this, is uh, that uh, in, the, uh, in the Messiah, uh, we are restored, but restored to a place that we have not been before, right? When you think about restoration, right, you think about, like, for example, years ago in another life, I, when I went to college, uh, it was all about restoring uh, cities. That's what I was studying and all that kind of thing. Restoring neighborhoods. And, and you know how, like today, uh, uh, you can uh, go to a neighborhood 
uh, like in New York City or in uh, any other major cities, and it happens here in Columbus as well, that 40 or 50 years ago, you would not, you would not go near, right? You would not go near. But now, you couldn't afford to go near it. Then you were afraid to go near it. Now you can't afford to go near it, right? Uh, because they're gentrified. They're, they're, they're restored uh, to, uh, to the, the glory uh, of, of what they had once been, right? But that's not what the Bible means by restored. We're not going back to something to someplace we've been. When God restores us, he's not restoring us to like what it was like when we were little kids or uh, what it was like when I was 20 years old or anything like that. We're restored to a new place. We could say we're restored to the place that God had originally intended for us to be. And that's what it means in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 5 when we read in verse 17. Well, actually, uh, verse 16. Well, no. What I'm thinking in my head is, wait a minute, I have to save some of this for uh, a, a future message like tomorrow. But anyway, uh, in verse, uh, yes, we will save verse 16. Okay, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Messiah, he or she is a new creature, a new creation. The old things passed away because all things have become new, right? So what happens is, is that we are not, when we come to know Messiah and we repent of our sins, we're reconciled to God and we're restored, we are restored to the way God had originally intended for us to be, a place we've never been. To be men and women uh, created in the image and likeness of God for his glory and to serve him uh, in the ways in which he, he uh, had intended. You could say that when the Jewish people were redeemed out of Egypt, those people, right, uh, and uh, they, uh, they, uh, they come out of Egypt, they're delivered, and then uh, the second generation gets to the promised land. You could say that they have been restored. What do you mean restored? They hadn't been to the promised land. They were restored in the sense of now fulfilling what God had originally intended for them to be and to do. And so every time, now this is true like when you come to know the Lord, right? But I will suggest that every time we repent, really repent, and are, you know, and really receive cleansing and forgiveness from God, that we are constantly then moving forward in that restoration. We're constantly moving forward uh, and not going back to uh, being restored to the way it was when I first accepted Messiah into my life. No. We are constantly being restored, moving forward to that complete restoration, right? And so we have to understand restoration in the Bible as not being restored to something backwards, but being restored forward to a place we've never been. And that is what is so dynamic and marvelous and wonderful uh, about it. Uh, and uh, it, it is very interesting that you read in, um, and I'll just finish with this, in the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, you have uh, in the second chapter this very interesting description of the pouring out of the Ruach. And uh, it's very interesting uh, what, we, uh, what you read here. Beginning in verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine and oil, 
and you will be satisfied in full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. Okay, then he talks about peace, you know, that kind of thing in verse 20. And then he says in verse 21, Do not fear, O land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the vine has yielded its fruit. Rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the earthly rain, the early rain, for your vindication. He has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. That's very significant when he talks about the, the overflow of wine and oil, because that is what would take place on Sukkot. Okay? Uh, I'll make up for you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And he goes on and on to talk about being plenty in verse 26. You shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord. And then notice in verse 28. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And so on and so forth. Uh, you see these great uh, uh, supernatural uh, um, uh, you know, events. And then in verse 32, and it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. The point being is that when this all happens, restoration takes place for animals, restoration takes place for the land, restoration takes place for the sons of Zion, and then restoration takes place for the whole world. And it all has to do with, as it says in the book of Joel, uh, the, the pouring out of the Spirit at the end, okay? So the marvelous thing is, and we're going to just end here, is that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out, and it is the beginnings, the beginnings of the end. When we receive the Lord, we receive the Ruach. We become restored to God. And in our lives, our whole life, is a process of restoration. Our whole life is a process of restoration. Nobody is all the way restored, <laughs> okay? That's one of those great biblical paradoxes, you know, that, uh, yes, we move closer to the Lord, but it's not until the consummation that and, our res and the resurrection, right, that uh, we, there is 100% of complete restoration. But we are being restored, you know, in all different kinds of ways in our lives. As we walk with the Lord, you halt the process of restoration when you walk off the way of the Lord. You stay on the way of the Lord, restoration continues and continues and builds and builds. And that is what Sukkot reminds us of. We must come through repentance and reconciliation to engage God in this joyful process, one might say, of restoration to God. So no matter where you are on the continuum, you're in the process of being restored. And remember that, that uh, it is God who is at work in your life. And as it says in Philippians, in the first chapter, he who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for Sukkot. Thank you for this joyous holiday, Lord, that is uh, 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 remembered at the dedication of the temples, 
that is used to describe the consummation, the unity of Jew and Gentile in you, the restoration of this world. Lord, may we be, Lord, in this world, agents of reconciliation and restoration, Lord. And God, we thank you, God, for this great holiday. We pray, Lord, that as we shake the lulav and etrog, as we have our services in the, you know, in the sukkah, or we eat in the sukkah, or some sleep in the sukkah, Lord, that it might be pictures and reminders of the great work that you're doing in our lives. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.